podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. The Bosco's boys are back. Um, weird things going on. The uh, other uh, boy from Bosco's boys, he is MIA. We have no idea where Grant is, so if anyone sees him out there, uh, please let us know or call your local police department because uh, he's missing. And I can't imagine why he'd want to miss this because this was one of the guests that I wanted to get from day one of this. Uh, the inspiration for this podcast happened in his mentions. He's the K-State beat writer for the Wichita Eagle and Kansas City Star and the recipient of the best nickname I've get, ever given out. It is Kellis the K-Dog Robinette. Kellis, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, my man. I'm just sorry Grant couldn't be here. I mean, this is a, this has been the dream. Now just it be the I, two I, of us. <laughs> I know. It, it's, it's upsetting. Uh, you know, when we eventually find out where he is, I'm sure he'll uh, want to try to schedule something else. Hopefully we can do something inside football season but you know you snooze you lose and the the podcast has to go on with or without them so uh how are you doing on this friday and uh how does it feel to be i think you are the fifth guest on bosco's boys and uh do you think you can live up to what your predecessors have given well i'll certainly try i mean um you you've asked me enough questions on my k-state q a's over the year over the the years i feel like i certainly owe it to you to to uh give you my best effort here it's the, the, the least well, I, I can do. And I think you'll do fine. I, I, I've said it once, and I'll say it a million times on Twitter. Your K-State Q&A blog post or whatever, you know, website posting, it's the best of all the Q&A-style blog posts out there in the sports journalism uh, game. And, you know, it's not just the Q&A post. Anyone who isn't following you on Twitter, anyone who isn't constantly seeing what you're putting out for our Wildcats, they're missing out. I, I, I think that bar none, you are the best beat writer who is currently still in the newspaper game. So I'm so happy to join. And speaking of some of the articles that you put out, you put a great one out talking about K-State's non-conference schedule. It's been out for a little while. This is something Grant and I really followed during this offseason, what this schedule was going to look like. Uh, I think Bruce put, to be- put together a much better schedule, and he's playing the RPA RPI game better. What were your initial thoughts when you saw it finalized? Um, yeah, I agree with that mostly. Um, I mean, last year's schedule was you know such a bore, such a snoozer, uh, especially the home games when you, the, the things everybody has to look forward to before conference are Northern Arizona and American and UMKC. Um, you know, it, it, it hurts attendance. It kills RPI. All those teams were uh, 300 or higher ranked in the computers and. That, you know, that just does nobody any good. You're better off playing Vision 2 teams where they don't even register on RPI. So, um, and, and, you know, he, he really got beaten up for it last year. Everybody criticized him for it. Um, you know, understandably, it's not all his fault that he just kind of got stuck with some bad teams. But I was impressed with uh, that they, they him and the whole coaching staff and the athletic department got the message they needed to upgrade. And I think they did a good job. I mean, I certainly understand the gripes of some fans that there's no – you know, huge name at, at, at home coming to Bramlage next season would be great if, if that were the case. But, you know, at Georgia State, Southern Miss, George Mason, that's that's a huge uh, upgrade from what we had last season. And really the, the goal in any non-conference schedule, you know, other than just putting together two or three really attractive games is you want to schedule teams that are going to win a lot of games and make your RPI look good without posing much threat to actually beating you. And, you know, TCU did it beautifully last year. Um, I even wrote a story about that at one point that that's kind of the model that teams like K-State should follow. If you can't, you know, pull the blue butt, if you can't play the blue bloods card and just play Duke and North Carolina uh, or UCLA just because you're a fellow blue blood. Um, and, and they did it. I think that uh, this coming season, no one will be griping that their schedule was just pathetic and it, it won't hurt them come in tournament time, I don't think. 
Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You mentioned those three, I, I called them sneaky good games at home, two of which are on a Saturday, Georgia State, Southern Miss, George, George Mason. And then, you know, the big marquee ones, you're going to Marquette, you're going to A&M in the SEC Challenge, and you have Vandy in the Sprint Center. I think when you look at those games, I don't know if it'll set up just like TCU's, I don't think it'll be quite as good when you end up doing the strength of schedule. But that was the difference between K-State being on that 8-9 line and being, you know, a 5 or 6 seed. And I think when it comes down to it, I think the Cat fans are going to be a lot happier on Selection Sunday. But will they be happier attending the non-conference games? Is that going to look any better than it did last year? I think it looks better, but still not, you know, ideal. Um, I, I think it, it's just a tough thing overall non-conference scheduling in basketball is just hard unless you're in Lawrence or, uh, Durham or Chapel Hill, these places where they, you know, where the fans don't have football to compete with them. Uh, it, it's just hard to get full crowds. I mean, I, I've been to games at UCLA in November and peak, nobody was there. Um, it, it's just kind of unfortunate that way. And, you know, I, I, I definitely understand where people are saying that Bramlage has been a ghost town in the last couple of years before uh, conference play starts. And I, I, I think that'll improve for two main reasons. One is that these games are a little bit better and they are on Saturdays. Like you said, I think that'll help the most that that's one thing that killed them in the past. They'd schedule not only American, but it would be on a Sunday when, you know, people are not wanting to go or, or Friday night when there's other things they could do. Um, you know, Saturday afternoon or whatever, that's that's great timing. Um, and then also there's just more interest in the team right now coming off an Elite Eight appearance. I think attendance should be significantly improved, but it, even if it's not a sellout or something like that. What, what are you thinking? I, I think it will be better. One thing that I want to get ahead of the curve and I want to go on the record saying, even with season ticket sales all the, like very high up, and I applaud the athletic department and the ticketing office, for running some of those specials during uh, the run in March, they were so cheap and, you know, they're taking over some of the GA student seats and on the baseline, I would be shocked if those seats look any better taking them away from the students. I think it was like a $200, maybe a hundred dollar season ticket. I guarantee so many of those were picked up by people who have, no intention of actually going to games and they're going to just try to sell them and no one's going to buy a five dollar baseline ticket uh for the non-con schedule while i like the non-con schedule i think it looks a lot better i don't think you're going to see this massive improvement and something that everyone on twitter the message boards they were griping about is oh it looks so bad when you can see the baseline no one's there well that's not going to get fixed i do think that when you have some of those conference games on Saturdays, I think you will see them completely filled in, filled in a little bit better than the students did this past year. And I think once you get to conference play, playing games, like, you know, it's always going to be amazing. One night out of the year, Bramlage is the best arena in college basketball when you play KU. But I think this year when you play Iowa State, when you play Texas Tech, when you play West Virginia, when you play some of these teams, I think that's going to have a little bit of that doom feeling again. And I'm excited about this. And this isn't something I put on the breakout, but this is something I'd like to get your take on. And I've heard some people talk about it because no one cares about college basketball outside of Lawrence, Kansas and, you know, Lexington, Kentucky, and, you know, some of those blue bloods would college basketball be better off as a whole moving their schedule and the start of their season back to January. Well, I'd be, I'd, I'd be in favor of that personally. Uh, I think that, yeah, it's, it's hard to compete with football and in a lot of places, the fan base and the interest doesn't really shift over to basketball until after the bowl games happen. So I think that's an intriguing possibility. I think it would be healthy for the sport, especially if it was, you know, that way you'd have football one semester, then basketball one semester, and it would just be a little bit more convenient. Um, I don't know that it'll ever happen, though, just because I think CBS likes it being in March. They like it calling it March Madness, and they like it leading up to the Masters. Um, so that would be a hard thing to break while they're paying billions of dollars for that tournament. But it would be pretty, it would be pretty sweet if they could do it and have, have, uh, you know, play it in May or something. Just change it from March Madness to May Madness. I'd be in favor of that. 
Yeah, I agree, and I think it would be a lot healthier because not only are you competing with college football, but even on ESPN when you're seeing the coverage when you have Sports Talk Radio, it's still even the NFL until, you know, the Super Bowl in February. College basketball, which I love, it's my second favorite sport to follow, but you get no play in the national sports media until the second weekend in February. I think it misses out, and I think, you know, you would you miss out on maybe even having a couple more made-for-TV-type non-conference games if you were starting the season a little farther back. So I'm glad we could talk about that. And one last thing on scheduling. We talked about the scheduling philosophy, and we heard all these rumors of trying to schedule teams. I've gone on my rants about Wichita State and how, you know, they, they turned it down. I never want to play them again. But we've heard whispers about a deal almost getting done with Nevada. But, you know, there were some issues with, you know, I think, air travel. I'm not quite sure. There was talks about Nebraska, Creighton, some of this other stuff. Uh, Gene Taylor has let it slip in a couple interviews. But do you think it would be better or more advantageous for Gene, for Bruce, to really just let loose and put some of these schools on blast? I mean, K-State Twitter got, you know, put into a frenzy when they did – not, not maliciously, but came out and said, hey, we tried with Wichita State. They turned us down. Uh, would they be better off just putting some of these schools on blast instead of being vague and saying, hey, we tried to talk to every Big Ten team. We tried to talk to some of the big majors. They said no. Would they be better off putting some of these schools on blast? Uh, maybe. I mean, I think it kind of worked for them with Wichita State. I mean, they, you pretty much could chalk that up to a win with, with Bruce coming out and saying that we, we tried to play him and they said no. Um, you know, it's not as good as playing and beating them, but if they're unwilling to do it, then that gives, uh, shames them a little bit and gives your fan base a little bit, uh, extra morale. So it, it could, it can work in some situations. I guess the delicate part of it would be if you really did want to schedule that team later down the line, you could really annoy them then they wouldn't want to do that. Um, I know that that kind of, that's one of the reasons Wichita State and Kansas State took so long to play. I, there were, you know, whispers that, uh, when Frank Martin was around him and him and um, Greg Marshall on pretty good terms, they'd uh, which McCall they would uh, scrimmage against each other each year, and they were getting friendly enough to the point where they wanted to change it from a from a scrimmage to a you know non-conference game, and they were at least talking about it. And then um, Greg Marshall went out and <laughs> ran his mouth about how they beat Kansas State in a scrimmage, and then Frank Martin wouldn't even scrimmage him anymore. So you kind of got to be delicate with that stuff. Um, I've been kind of interested to see how Wichita State responds to you know being publicly named in that. I, I don't know that I'll, that will necessarily uh, make them more or less willing to play. But if there's a team that you know you you really wanted to put on blast, like you said, it I think it would help. It would certainly help uh, you know your own your own image just because I think a lot of people sit back and think that when they see the schedule, these are the handpicked teams that they wanted, and that that's not necessarily the case, you know. Yeah, it's frustrating, and, you know, I would like to see it, but, again, I don't have to face the ramifications, and anyone who knows me knows that I'm up for, you know, talking shit and trying to fight with people on the Internet, so I would just like a little more ammo to do that. And then uh, the last thing about non-conference scheduling, then I'll move on. I just want to get this out into, you know, another podcast episode. Gene, I know you listen. I know we're best friends. Uh, I don't know if any of the other 80s do, but it's time to reach out to Nebraska, Missouri, Colorado and do a rotating game between all four schools, call it the Big 8 Classic, do it in December down in the Sprint Center. There you have a Sprint Center game for three years. You get some of those schools back. I think that would be a fun little event and a scheduling alliance that gives you a marquee game in Kansas City so then you only have to worry about trying to get a better game in uh, Bramlage. So that's the last thing I'm going to put out there. We're going to touch on basketball just real quick before we talk a little football. Are you hearing any whispers about some of these workouts and practices on guys who might be impressing or taking a step forward? I think the big one that has been mentioned by a couple players and people who have had access to it is Austin Trice. Are you hearing anything about Austin or any of the other guys? Yeah, um, Austin, yeah. People seem to be pretty impressed with him. I think he's the real deal. He'll come in and uh, help rebounding and give him a new body inside. The, the other two uh, I'll be most interested to see um, – you know, when basketball season comes around, or um, McCall Maywean, I, I think he's really dedicated himself to trying to take that next step, uh, foul a little less, and be a little bit more of an offensive weapon. 
than he was last season. And by all accounts, I think he's done that. Um, I think especially with now Austin pushing both him and Dean, I think you'll see improvement uh, across the board in the front court next season. And then um, the other name I've heard is uh, Cartier Jada. Um, you know, now he's had a, a full, he's had two years in the system, a full year of uh, playing under his belt, starting a lot of games. Um, and, you know, both him and Cam will be pushing each other to start a point guard next season. So those are those are the guys I'm most interested to see and who I've heard the most, most positive feedback on. I'm excited to hear that about uh, Cardi. I am a massive fan of him. And I think that, you know, if if he is plugged into how the fans are talking, I would be so motivated if I were him See all the hear all the fans still fawning over Mikey McGraw. Mike had a great game versus Creighton, but some of the hype and expectations fans are starting to put on him is getting insane. I Anytime you log into Twitter, anytime you get on a message board, anytime you talk to anyone, the talk about the young guard isn't about Cardi, but it's about Mike McGurl. Do you think it's getting to a point where it's excessive or maybe even dangerous, the amount of expectations being put on Mike McGurl by the fans? Uh, well, I guess it probably depends on what if he's re- if he's reading it and what his reaction to it is. Um, I'm I'm always pretty skeptical about summer um, summer reports like that. I mean, it, I can remember people absolutely fawning over Freddie Espria at this time of year about how he was going <laughs> to dominate and be the you know the key to pushing them from the the elite eight to the final four, and he was a complete bust. So I would I would advise you to you know temper expectations that you see in the game but yeah i mean i I can definitely see why people you know like like mike and want uh, want him to improve and hope he improves i mean he looked great in that great game and every time down the stretch that bruce went to him and he got an opportunity he delivered so um i guess the question with him is just can he do it you know long term because before that he didn't do a whole a whole lot but the, the potential is there so yeah, it'll definitely be fun to to watch that rotation and uh, that backcourt to see who who gets the minutes. Yeah, I agree with you. And then uh, you, you mentioned Cam Stokes, and I'll put Dean Wade in here as well. Have you heard anything on how their rehab has been going? I know Cam he played in March, but Bruce after uh, the loss to Loyola, he was quite adamant about how they're going to have to shut Cam down for a while and get him you know back to one hundred percent, and then. You know, there had been talks about Dean Wade was in a walking boot longer than expected. We all kind of, you know, saw how, you know, little he played. He played those two possessions versus Kentucky, and that's it in the tournament. Have you heard if they are up to 100% yet? Um, I mean, they're, they're both active. I, I don't know if I'd say 100%. Um, like, if the season were right now, I don't know if they could play 30-plus minutes or how good they'd be, but... Um, I, I don't think it'll be any concern when the season comes along. I, with with Dean, you know, big guys and feet, that's just been a K-State's nemesis over the last couple of years. So I think they're going to take every precaution possible uh, to make sure that he fully recovers. So he, I, I think they'll take they'll bring him along slowly even after he's, you know, back in 100%. And with Cam, you know, I never really got the sense that he was still hurt. I think he's good to go. It's just the thing with him was he, he missed a month. And there were regulations on how much time he could spend on his feet each day, and they didn't want him working out and pushing himself. So he just, you know, he never had his stamina, never got his full endurance back. So I, I think that's what Bruce was talking about when he would say he was nowhere near 100%. Um, you know, if he went into a doctor's office, they'd say you're fine, but was he in peak basketball shape? No. And that's where I think the offseason could help him the most because he needs to get back and be be able to play defense and run up and down the court as fast as he can and um, get his legs under him and shoot. So that's, uh, you know, for us guys who talk to Bruce, Bruce Weber regularly, that's the biggest thing he stresses in shooting is you got to have your feet, you got to have strong legs, and, um, you know, not being able to work out and losing them up this season, I think that's what hurt Cam the most there. Well, hopefully he gets back. I, I'm a big Cam defender. That's another guy who I think is getting unfairly scapegoated uh, by fans and, I hope he can shut up some of his critics this season. Uh, and the last thing, I, I have questions for you about uh, basketball. Do we know if Sean Williams has made it to campus? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure on that one. I, I haven't heard either way. I, I know there was a lot of concern about getting him on the campus and 
you know, it was touch and go for a second, and especially with uh, the lack of success on the recruiting trail, uh, you know, I, I'd really like to see him get on campus. I'm not sure how much he's going to play this season. He may even end up redshirting, but, you know, I think it would be big to uh, make sure he at least gets a year of practice under his belt. But that's enough of basketball. We're less than two months away from football. It's the most, you know, special time of the year where everyone's scrambling to talk any amount of football they can. Uh, I, I know you've talked quite a bit and you've written quite a bit about K-State football season already. Uh, so just a couple questions I have for you. I want you to go on the record right now. This is something we have asked every single guest we've had on our podcast. Who will take the mo- first snap and who will take the most snaps at quarterback this year? Man, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I'll go Alex Delton starts. I think that seniority tends to win in these types of situations. Um and being a year older and having more experience in the system, I think they'll favor Delton, at least for the first game. So I think he gets the nod in a very close situation. Um, but given his injury history, I think Skyler probably ends up playing more games. And then, do you, so he'll, he'll start more games, and you think he will take the most snaps? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think they'll both play. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we'll get a true two quarterback system, but I think they find a way to use both. Uh, but yeah, I bet, I bet Alex Delton starts the first game and by the end of the season, we see more Skylar Thompson than Alex Delton. So, and then based on how you answered that, I think it answers my follow-up question. How much of a concern do you have about Alex Delton's health going into this? Yeah. I mean, it's a wild card. Um, if, if Dana Dimmel was still the offensive coordinator, you could, almost pencil in that he's not going to make it through the season given that he had two concussions last year and he likes to run so much. Um, I mean, maybe that's still the approach they go with because he is such an effective runner and we saw what he did against UCLA in the cactus ball. But if they can dial that back a little bit and turn him into a little bit more of a pocket passer and not, and help him avoid hits when he can, um, that would be a big help for him. But yeah, that's just a tough thing because when you got this versatile weapon like that, who's, dual threat and both him and Skyler really can both run the ball. Um, but Alex, you know, even though his arm did look better in the spring game, he's still a run for guy. So just given that over the last few years, Kansas state has just been unable to avoid the injury bug at QB. You got to think that at least both they'll utilize both in some fashion. Yeah, I agree with you. And I I've said it countless times and I think that I will, uh, continue to say it until I'm proved otherwise. I think, It'll end up being Skyler starting and Skyler getting the most snaps. But I think Alex Delton will have his own package, but we'll have to wait and see. And I don't, I, you know, I'm not even going to take too much from that South Dakota game. For me, it's all going to be about how we use those quarterbacks versus Mississippi State. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That, uh, especially if they win that game. If if they go with one guy and they win yet win that game, it's going to be tough to unseat him. But yeah. I'm with you. I think that first game, they figure some stuff out. They dabble with both guys. They try to learn as much as they can, and then they they go with their preferred quarterback against Mississippi State. Yep, I you know I I, I hope to see that, and you know, I've been diving into Mississippi State information, and I picked up Phil Steele, and I was reading into that. I I am just starting to get so hyped for that game, and you know I'm I almost kind of wish that that South Dakota State game wasn't the first one because. No, they're rolling with a first-time head coach, and I'd like to sneak it past them. But we'll uh, we'll maybe get you on and preview that game when it gets a little bit closer. Right. Uh, but my, my answers will be completely different than on quarterback, probably. But uh, perfect, <laughs> perfect. You know, this is not this is not uh, you know we're not writing this on a stone tablet and presenting it on Manhattan Hill. You, I will allow you to change who you think will be quarterback. I'm not going to hold anything against you and. Uh, anything that you say on this podcast, it will not go against your crazy good record of predicting K-State football on your own blog. What, what, what was your record last year? Last year, I think I finished eight and five. The team, the team, the year, the year the last, two, yeah, yeah, last year, two years ago, I went thirteen and zero in a blaze of glory, and then last year I kept, uh, I, I did some silly things like picking them to beat TCU and stuff. Um, oh. oh, and also picking them to beat to beat Vanderbilt. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I think I brought I brought that game and trip up 
almost every single podcast. And I have to, I have to say this uh, since I do have you on. That was going to finally be we were going to be able to hang out, get a beer, and hang out the Friday night before the game. But I had a little bit too much fun during the day down on Broadway. It was uh, it was it was an interesting trip and an interesting time. And hopefully we can get a little payback on the SEC and you know upset one of their guys going into this season. Um, who here's a question for you: Who is going to be the guy that nobody is talking about right now? that come the end of the season, we're all going to say, where did he come from on this case? Yeah, I was trying to think of a good answer to give you there. Um, this probably isn't the best one in the world, but I, I'm thinking, you know, Dalvin Warmack. Um, and obviously people have talked about him before, so he's not coming out of nowhere. But I, I'm just intrigued to see what they do with him. You know, maybe maybe I'm completely wrong here and he doesn't take a step forward and he plays pretty much the same really has, but – I think with their, you know, limited experience at wide receiver and um, some other things, we've heard a lot of talk about maybe them using two uh, two running backs in the same sets and with, with Dalvin saying he's going to transfer but then deciding, nah, I'm going to stay, seems to me like he likes what he sees. Uh, and he's just got these great skills out of the backfield. Um, and they really utilized the scat back in a long time. I think if Andre Coleman comes in and wants to be creative and get the ball, uh, you know, to a safe outlet um, with an inexperienced receiver core, I think he could be pretty dangerous. Um, and I hope they at least give him some looks there because, you know, in the past he was good for like three screen passes a year and he'd always do pretty good on them, but they'd never go back to him. So maybe this is the year they finally utilize him a little bit more um, and he does some damage. We'll, we'll see. It could be, you know, like I said, I could, that pick could be way off, but that, that's what I'll say. I actually was going to say something very similar. I am so intrigued to what they had to say to him to get him to come back. I am very intrigued to see how we use, and like you said, all the rumors of using two running backs uh, out of the same formation. I, I think we have underutilized him his entire career, and I would love to see him you know, starting the backfield, motioning out, and then getting him the ball out in the field as a wide receiver. I think you are spot on, and I'm going to walk hand-in-hand <laughs> with you into that prediction. So, uh, you know, we can either be look like the smartest guys in the world together, or we can look like idiots together, but I wouldn't have any other uh, way. Yeah, T- together all the way. <laughs> yes, I, I will stand right by you with that one. Uh, who is your super early July 6th is when we're taping this at 2.37? So at 2.37 on July 6th, who do you have playing Arlington for the honor of the one true champion Big 12 Dan Beebe Memorial Tournament <laughs> trophy? Uh, the, <laughs> wouldn't that be awesome if that's uh, if they actually worked Dan Beebe's name into the trophy? <laughs> they need to hire me for branding and marketing. So uh, whoever is in the Big 12 office listening to this, I, I, I can see our numbers. We have tons of listeners in Arlington. I'm sure – Almost all of them are in the Big 12 office. So reach out to me. I will help name the trophy uh, free of charge. Uh, feel free to reach out. But who do you have playing for that illustrious? Well, I'll, I'll go with Dan Beebe's arch nemesis, the school that officially pushed him out, Oklahoma, and then uh, West Virginia, the team that uh, came and, in after he left. And if that's the case, they play each other the last week in the regular season. That's right. It would be a very anticlimactic game. Yes, I I think it would. And uh, uh, right now, if you had to put my feet to the fire, I'm with you. I am. I'm on the record saying I think this is going to be the first year in the Texas's back tour. I don't know if they're going to have enough to get to Arlington, but I do think this will finally be, you know, the meme of Texas is back. I think that they are back and I think they'll finish third. Uh, but again, we're, we're walking arm in arm and I but, wish, I wish Grant was not MIA. So we, maybe we wouldn't keep agreeing. Well, so Texas was, yeah, well, yeah, and they, sadly, Texas was the other team I really considered there. And the, the <laughs> it's like, we, it's like we shared the same mind. Oh goodness. All right. Uh, how many more games will Bill Snyder coach? I mean, I'd, I'd put the over-under at 13.5, so I guess it comes down to do you think it'll be one or two more seasons. Um, 
I've seen him come back and keep coming back so many times. I probably tend to go over. So I think he's maybe got two more in him. I might be on the the long end of that prediction, but I'll say twenty six. All right. Uh, you know, I again, I've I've tried to squat on take that I think he has actually secretly already done, but I've come across some information, and I'm not going to reveal uh, sources, but I've come across some information that you know, makes me quite confident that I will be wrong, but I'm not someone to go back on my prediction, so I'll, I'll stick to that. But, no, I, I do think he's going to make it through this season. I think this is – it has to be getting close to the end. Uh, but I, I guess you never know. I, I guess you never know with him. And then uh, you have the right to change this under your own blog, under your own weekly p- predictions. But right now, tell me what you are saying K-State's record will be. Eight and four That's what I'm going with. All right, I'm going with seven and five, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing how those go. Um, we I, we have a handful of you know we called them industry questions, but some f- fun questions about uh, life as a Big J journalist that I think we can have fun with a couple of these. But first, before we get into it, how long have you been covering K State again? Uh, I took this job in 2009, right before the football season started. All right, so you're coming on nine. Nine football seasons? Yep. Nine or ten? Yep. yep. Okay. I've been here for – my first game was Bill Snyder's first game back, so I've been here for the entire 2.0 tour. You probably thought there was no way that he would possibly stay longer than you. <laughs> I'm, not say, I'm not saying you're leaving, but you probably thought there was no way that you'd be, A, sitting on a podcast named after Bosco the Dog <laughs> – nine years from now and still talking about Bill Snyder. Well, I mean, that was my, you know, that was my dream, but I didn't think, you know, you're always skeptical that your dreams will happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that I could help make your dreams I think, true yeah, no, I, I didn't, I mean, he's the one who came back saying he was just going to calm the waters, so I thought it would be a five-year thing for him and he'd step aside, but, I mean, he, he loves it. It's, you know, I I've talked to some other people about his age who've retired and some other coaches his age who've retired. And every time I say, you know, can you believe he's still going? And they all tell me they wish they'd stuck with it. They wish they were still coaching, doing what they were loving or loving what they did, you know, every single day. So um, that's just kind of what always makes me think he's got more, more, more coaching days left in him. But yeah, it's, it's surprising. Going, are you going to keep riding until you're 78? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, I, I hope I make a lot of money and can retire well before that. Um, if, if I have as much money as Coach Snyder at the age of seventy-eight, I'm definitely not working. Uh. Well, I'll tell you this right now: you had the opportunity to be the. You were originally asked to be the co-host of Bosco's Boys, and as I'm now rolling in the gold coins from all our uh, listens, like Scrooge McDuck, I think you made the wrong choice. Yeah. Well, well, we'll let we'll let that. One go. of my many one of my uh, many regrets in life. It's, it's all right. We'll, we'll get you on as, uh, as a guest as much as we can. Uh, here, here's one, and I've, I've been anxiously awaiting this. What is the craziest tip, story, or inside information that you didn't end up publishing or printing because you couldn't verify it or get a second source or is too crazy to truly go with? You don't have to give us names. You can you know, call them you know, Coach Y. <laughs> you can keep an anonymity or however you want to pronounce that. But give, give me the craziest thing that you have uh, come across, but you didn't end up writing. Oh, um, I mean, there have been a lot of, you know, crazy small small things that I couldn't quite verify. I'd say um, probably the, the funniest tip I ever got was uh, well, one year a guy was, a friend of mine was r- r- rather persistent with me that one of the um, one of the players on the basketball team was like a rampant drug dealer. And uh, it was like the the widest non-athletic uh, player on the team. There's no way it could have been true, but he would pester me weekly that I needed to look into this, and that he knew yeah that he knew people who had uh, bought marijuana from him and stuff. And I was like, no, there's no way, there's no way. I didn't really even look into it. It had to be a lie, but that's that was correct. Um, <laughs> that that would be a good one. That would be that would be amazing if the the biggest weed pusher. And Manhattan would have been one of the widest, most fight <laughs> guys on the basketball team. I might have to, I might have to poke you a little that bit when we're done recording to figure out who that was. I, I, I won't, I won't ever say anything, but that's, that's pretty good. Uh, what's, what's the weirdest or most obscure thing a K-State fan has gotten mad at you 
for either riding or doing? Uh, I, I remember my first year on the job, I wrote a story about how I admired um, Brandon Banks, the old receiver. And I re- had a line in there that said he was one of the best uh, short receivers I'd ever seen. And um, somebody was uh, somebody on Twitter was just very, very angry that I was trying to belittle Brandon Banks, calling him short. Um, and I was I even went through and looked. He was by by height the shortest player in all of the Big 12. And I just, you know, kept messaging back and forth to this guy. I'm like, I'm not trying to belittle him. I just, you know, at five, six. I feel like it's, you know, it's an accurate description of him. He's a great athlete, a good player. Um, but he is short. I, I don't see what's wrong with saying that. But he was just – if he's listening now, he's still probably angry that I said that about him. That that always kind of made me laugh. That, that is a good one. My personal favorite is when I saw not just one but a handful of people really upset with you one day for wearing a blue polo uh, to a K-State basketball game. I – I, when I saw that, I, I just I lost it. I was laughing because people just love to love to get mad. Uh, but in, you are people do label you as an outsider, which I think is funny because you've now been covering the team for you know close to nine years. You've been in Manhattan, but as someone who kind of does come from the outside, I think K, the K State fan base is super divided on a million and a half things. I think. Any given day on the internet or even in person, you see these civil wars breaking out. I, I like to think of, you know, should Beasley's jersey be in the rafters? There was the Burn It Down crew versus the Bruce Loyalists. You have all these different, you know, even at times Bill Snyder out. You have Dana Demel apologists, all this stuff. Do you think the K-State fan base is any more divided than any others? Um, I would, I think... Uh, the I mean that's a good point. I think there is a lot of division on a lot of topics. I think the what I've noticed. I think there's just more dividing issues um, at Kansas State that revolve around sports than there are other places. I mean, you got how long was Snyder coach? How how long should he coach? Who should replace him? Um, you know, he, it's died down a little bit, but yeah, the uh, the the Bruce defenders versus the Bruce haters. Um, and I think if you had that same situation in another school, the fan base would be just as divided on those topics. Um, like, I mean, if, if you go to Texas, I'm sure they're always, if they have a bad football season, they're just as divided on whether they should keep the coach or fire the coach. Um, it, at KU, there were people flying uh, banners that said fire their athletic director until they finally did it. There were people who really liked him. Um, I, I know with, with that fan base, there's always talk about who could potentially replace Bill Self, just like they have here. So I don't know that the K-State fan is just any more, you know, argumentative or uh, wants wants to, you know, be divisive. I just think there's a lot of topics out there that people just don't naturally agree on. I mean, regardless of what fan base you're at, if you say who should be the next football coach, there's going to be a million different answers really at any time. So I, I, that's the big thing. Um, I just – the one thing I've always admired about the K-State fan base is they're always – there is just always this passion. Um, you know, any one of those topics, there can be a big argument or a debate on pretty much anything. And, um, yeah, I mean, if, if the shirt I'm wearing at a game can become a, a topic, then then you know you've got a passionate fan base. Uh, and then the, the one thing when it came, comes to K-State Civil Wars, and I, I went on a bit of a rant on this a handful of times, but were you surprised – that the fact that Michael Beasley's jersey being the rafter, are you surprised that that is such a dividing point? I feel like it is a non-starter. I think it's almost criminal. It hasn't happened yet. But you said based on your mentions and feedback from your article about jerseys going in the rafters, there is a majority of fans saying that they don't want it. Yeah, that, that surprised me. Um, from and Now, this, you know, it's certainly not scientific. This is just based on people who read my articles and reply or email me. Um, and of those, there were maybe only about 20, but yeah, of that, there were more people who were just very steadfast in that Michael Beasley only going to school one year should disqualify him from that kind of honor. Um, and yeah, that surprised me because I'm with you and I'm with a lot of other people in that he had uh, one of the best, if not the best single seasons in Kansas state basketball history. He, really sparked, you know, the renaissance of K-State basketball and was the first guy that got the ball ball rolling to where they are now. 
two elite two elite appearances and one Big 12 championship. Does any of it happen without him? Um, you know, I think that's a valid question. So I would say that his number and name belong up there in the rafters, but, you know, there are old school people who, who think differently and they'd rather see go to Roddy Magruder or somebody else. Um, but yeah, I, I am with you. I think it is a little bit surprising just because at other schools it hasn't bothered him. I mean, Ke- uh, Kevin Durant's retired at Texas. Carmelo Anthony's retired at Syracuse. It seems like anymore, if, if you're good enough, um, people don't really care if you were there one year or four years. Um, but I guess there are always people who, who think the other way, who think that you need to be on campus a long time if you want to get that kind of honor. All I know is if anyone out there thinks that Steve Henson to have his jersey up there, but Michael Beasley shouldn't. I will fist fight <laughs> even, every single one of you individually in front of the Ernie Barrett statue before the very first K-State basketball game this year. Bare knuckles, street rules. Uh, let me know uh, because I think that's just asinine, and I saw that take by more than one person. It, it is uh, it is, it is I, heartwarming I, to see pretty much universal uh, agreement on Jacob Pullen, though. That That's nice. I, I don't know why, why okay. anyone would argue that he did belongs up there but 100 percent yes on that one I, yes and i i that that does make me feel a little bit better because as we've been documenting there aren't that many uh unifying topics amongst k-state fans the fact that everyone is on board with jake that makes me feel good uh that i i, I wouldn't have i don't have anyone any respect for anyone who thinks beasley shouldn't be up there and if anyone was trying to tell me jacob poland shouldn't uh, I would, you know, we I joke about civil wars, but that's almost take up arms <laughs> and rally the boys like that. That would just be, uh, that th- that would just rile me up. Um, he- here's one. Here's another question I had for you, and this is uh, this is one that I didn't want to put on, but again, I've chatted with you about this, and you know, you know, JK forty seven John Kurtz. I've seen him take up the mantle of this as well. But there are a couple corners of the K-State fan base on the internet that hold a certain, I don't know if it was a blog post or an article or something that you wrote, you know, back, I think when the internet was first invented by Al Gore, it was so long ago at this point, uh, that criticized Manhattan. Is, is there anything you want to say to the people that have decided to hold something you wrote so long against you and been so, you know, venomous towards you uh after that came to light for a day or two yeah well the i guess the funny thing about it is the um actual like paragraph that the the quote that's used against me so much is in was actually uh more uh praise against manhattan than criticism of it basically what i did was i structured um this i did a story about like the positives and negatives of every big 12 town and when i got to manhattan i said you know like um at the time i Said something about like how their their women's basketball team was more popular than their men's and something else, something else. So I said there's a lot of hate, there's a lot to hate about Manhattan, but they've got all these great things like an awesome football team. Um, their tailgating is among the best in the Big 12, and if you ever get a chance, you should go to Manhattan. Um, so it's always kind of uh, surprised me that that uh, that that's been used against me so much. I mean, I could use the same line against uh, Austin, Texas, my hometown, my favorite city. You know, I could say, um, you know, traffic's horrible. Uh, it's 100 degrees uh, seven months out of the year, and way too many people live there. It's like about Austin, but it's still an awesome town. That's basically what I was going for. Yeah, and, um, you know, even even if that's not the way you read into it, you think I secretly hate Manhattan, I just say I've uh, they gave me the choice of where to live when I took the job in 2009. I said I want to live in Manhattan. Um, I've lived here ever since. Uh, we've, uh, me and my, my wife have had opportunities to, to leave and take other jobs and do other things, but we decided to stay here because we like it so much. We've uh, started a family here, had three kids, all of, all of them born right across the street from Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I love it here. A lot, a lot changes in uh, 13 years or however long it was since I wrote that. Um, I mean, I was probably li- listening to Limp Biscuit and – Wearing a puka shell necklace at the time, drinking a Bud Light, um, you know. And if I saw myself then, I'd probably want to punch me in the face too. So, uh, you know, that that's. I mean, I I love Manhattan. Uh, I owe a lot to Kansas State. I have a job because that university exists, and so does my wife. So, there's certainly no uh, you know malice for me about this town or anything like that. We we, we love it here. 
Well, I figured, and I just thought I would uh, give you the platform to, again, you know, defend yourself because I think you're a much classier guy than I would be when uh, some of these internet trolls come after you. But I thought I'd give you that. Uh, one last thing before we end with some fun questions because you didn't do your award-winning Q&A blog post, so we're going to get into some fun questions that I had for you uh, to take the place of that. But any advice for the young folks entering the sports journalism world neither grant or i are officially in that game so i wanted to you know get someone like yourself who isn't who is just frankly elite at what you do to give the kids a little bit of advice if they're happening well I'd, I'd have two pointers my first off would be i would say go the go the route you and grant did um and consider a different career path because journalism is i mean journalism is especially sports journalism is fiercely competitive and it's not a thriving industry, so there's not a whole lot of upward movement to be had. I mean, um, you know, unless you're the Bill Belichick of uh, this profession, it's very hard to um, jump up and get a, a super high-paying job in any market you want. Um, I mean, there are a lot of talented people out there who get laid off who don't deserve it. I know I think uh, I'm thankful every day that that hasn't happened to me yet. Um, so I would say, you know, if, if you have the capabilities to, um, you know, at least have a backup plan or get a high paying job outside of the field and then dabble in it a little bit, I would certainly uh, say at least consider that option. But if you're uh, stubborn like I was, people told me not to get into it, too, and I wouldn't listen to them. Um, I would just say um, work hard, be nice and um, try to be creative in what you do, because. There's just so much competition if you just show up and do the same thing every day and aren't creative or are boring, nobody's going to notice you. So you got to attract the eye of somebody uh, like uh, Scott Wildcat on Twitter, and otherwise you're not going to have a good uh, <laughs> weekly mailbag. And speaking of the weekly mailbag, uh, I had no idea you were going to skip yours this week, but we have some fun questions. Uh, we're going to get into them, and then uh, we'll wrap up the podcast. I've appreciated it, and uh, let's have a little fun with these final questions. Yeah. Have you ever gambled on a sport? Oh, yeah. I've, I've been to Vegas. I've put some money down on stuff. All right, and will you legally do it when Kansas eventually legalizes it? And I'm hearing that July, a year from now, July 19, or 2019, is where they're targeting to make it legal. So will you place sports bets in Kansas after it's legalized? Yes, I will. I will try to do that. All right, uh, we just wrapped up Belgian 2, Brazil 1. So is there a greater sporting event in the world than the World Cup? No, it's it's my favorite. I just wish the U.S. was playing in it. Don't we, don't <laughs> we both? Hopefully, hopefully you and I can uh, check out a game after I'm world famous from this podcast and have box seats to Arrowhead Stadium for a World Cup game in 2026. Yes. Uh, all right, so who will win the World Cup? So we're taping this after half of the quarterfinal games have been played. Uh, who are you putting your money on to win it at this point? Uh, man, Belgium looks good. Um, but you know what? I, I'm going to say France just because I don't want them to win it, and that tends to be how it goes. Whoever I don't want to win wins it, and they look good today. So I'll say France, but I'd, I'd rather it be Sweden, Sweden or England, but I'll say France. I, I want someone who hasn't won it before, so I think that means Belgium, Croatia, or Sweden. Not Russia, though. I, I am just very afraid that, you know, we're going to have a big doping scandal because I feel like that happens every single time a Russian team does well, and I would like to see that stay out of soccer. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I'd, I'd like to see Belgium. Uh, Sweden would be fun. Uh, so, but I, I do think I do think it will end up being France. I agree with you. Um, is a hot dog a sandwich? I think you and I once upon a time got into a little bit of a debate on. No, this. no, it's not a sandwich. You can't buy it at a deli. You can't put it between two pieces of bread. Not a sandwich. I I, I disagree with you. I think it literally is in between a, two pieces of bread. I think you're splitting hairs. Not calling a bun in between two pieces of bread. But I remember when you said if you can't buy it at a deli, it isn't a sandwich. That actually was a very – that's the closest I've ever came to coming off of my stance about hot dogs. 
Uh, is it acceptable for a, an adult over the age of 18 to put ketchup on a hot dog? I hope so, because uh, that's what I do. That's my condiment of choice. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I, we had this love fest earlier, and then then I find this. I think you might have said this once upon a time, but that that absolutely crushes me. I mean, if you go oh, to a gourmet yes. hot dog place, then yeah, sure, you can try to do better. But, I mean, what, what are you going to do at a ball game or something? Mustard, Ugh. just mustard, with some onions and sauerkraut. Uh, I, nah, I, that, I just go hungry. That's, that's, that, oh goodness, I guess not everyone is perfect, <laughs> and uh, you're proving that point to me right now. Uh, after Michael Beasley and Jacob Pullen, who would you put in the Raptors and Bramwich Coliseum? I'd go Steve Benson first and Rodney Magruder second, but I'd, I'd put them both in. I wouldn't put either one of really? them. I like the exclusivity, and I actually, my answer would probably be no one, uh, but if I had to do it, I would probably say Rodney Magruder, but I think if you're putting Rodney Magruder up there, I think that opens up, or Steve Henson, I think that opens up anyone who's ever been first team all conference to go up there. So, I mean, I guess, you know, better prepare to put Dean Wade and Barry Brown up there as well. I, I, I'm for so I'm for inclusiveness. I, I want to see more names up there. I, I if 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 K State is going to go the way of being more inclusive and opening that up, I think there needs to be a massive break. I think put Michael Beasley, put Jacob Pullen, and I want to see a ten year break before you start putting anyone who's ever been first team all conference because I almost think it's unfair that once you start hypothetically putting Poland and Beasley up there for what they did for the program to then start putting people like Steve Henson and Rodney McGruder. And I was a massive Rodney McGruder fan. I don't want anyone to take this as me absolutely hating on him. But when you have the, you know, rich basketball history K-State has, you've had this exclusive club for so long. I want Jacob Poland and Michael Beasley to feel exclusive, to hang up there for – you know, 10 years before all of a sudden we're putting, you know, Rodney Magruder, Barry Brown, Cartier Martin, Austin Buddy, Austin. and everyone up there. So. <laughs> Ron Freeman. I'm sure he, I, I, yeah, Ron Freeman. Yeah, you know, I, I want them to enjoy a little bit of time in that exclusive club before that happens. Uh, this is a, a little bit more stringent criteria than basketball. Uh, so you can, I, I would say, go outside the, very stringent criteria, but who should be up in the ring of honor? Uh, well, let's see. They just got finished with um, Jordy Nelson and Michael Bishop and those guys and, and Sproul, so I guess it's the next generation. Um, I'd say it's still probably a little early, but the names that came to mind for me were like Arthur Brown, Colin Klein, Tyler Lockett, and um, I'll go a little outside the box and say maybe Josh Freeman. See, he leads yes, in categories. Yeah, yeah. I, I, am, I am all about the jo- I'm all about the Josh Freeman love. I I I would love that. I don't think he meets the cri- because I believe unless they've changed it, it's still graduation and or no 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 that's K-State Hall of Fame. I think it's just consensus all American for football. Uh oh. Sorry, I got an Amber alert here. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who cares about the kids getting kids? Unless it's Grant. If Grant has gone lost and they put out an Amber Alert for Grant, uh, hopefully we find him soon. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I like all those, and I, I am all on board with uh, Josh Freeman. And if not Josh Freeman, I think you know Arthur Brown, Tyler Lockett, probably Colin Klein. Uh, so we're on board there. Uh, should Farmer got, get in have a trophy? And if they should – are you on board with my movement to make it the golden pecan pie? I think a trophy for sure. A golden pecan pie sounds intriguing. I've always thought a golden tractor to fit in with the farming aspect would work better. But I'm open to anything. I, I would, I would, if somebody gave me a golden pecan pie, I would definitely hold it and pretend to eat it. Well, I think you know you present the pie and then you have a sponsor, some grocery store, Hy-Vee, Dylan's, whatever it is let the winning team just eat a bunch of pies in the end zone after the game. So I think, I think that would be a great photo. Off. <laughs> yeah. What's the last, what's the last song you sang out loud? Um, last night, uh, before bed, my kids asked me to sing everything is awesome from the Lego movie. So that's, that's the last one. 
That, that's pretty awesome. I've, I've sang that's I probably sang that song more than any other. I know all the words, sadly. Oh man, we we might need to get a recording of that so we can make that our outro song. <laughs> on the, pod. Uh, the last song I sang out loud. Oh man, um, I, it's a song that I'm going to mention a little bit later in these questions. So I'm not all right. Hold on that. Um, if if you could have any. HBO miniseries, eight episodes long. And this was a Grant question, RIP, wherever you are. Um, what would you like to see the topic? Uh, where is Grant today? A documentary into the mystery. That would be much less. That That's a good one. Uh, the answer I had written down before that, I think that wins. Uh, and I think it would probably take eight episodes. Uh, but the one I put down is Bleeding Kansas. I would love to see a real in-depth, historical miniseries about uh, the process of statehood, you know, the Missouri Rough Riders, whatever they are called, John Brown, uh, all that stuff. I, I love the uh, Kansas history, and I think an eight-part miniseries on that would be great. Are you a Coke or Pepsi guy? Dr. Pepper, third option. Oh, okay. There, there you go. Probably fit in well with uh, the K-Man crew. Shout out to them. They got Dr. Pepper back in their vending machines. Uh, what's your go-to karaoke song? Uh, I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, that's on, on, I would have performed that in karaoke. My go-to one is Hero by Enrique Iglesias. Uh, that's a good one too. Uh, although I have retired that. I'm not going to perform it live anywhere until my brother's wedding, which, thank goodness, is the October bye week for K-State football. I was worried about that, but that'll be – I will not sing it out loud until his reception. <laughs> I, I hope you uh, take that. Oh, so I, I have one from the last time I was a best man at a wedding. Shout out to good friend of the pod, Bonehead Casey Dodge. I sang it at his wedding, and I, I still have it on my phone to this day. It's glorious. I might tweet it out later. Uh, what What is more likely to happen? This is another Grant question. He's great at asking questions, just not great at you know showing up. Where are you, Grant? Um, what is the first thing to end the fast and furious franchise or, or no, what's the first thing to happen? The end of the fast and furious franchise or case making a final four in football or basketball. So when you say fast, fast and furious franchise, you including all spinoff movies like, uh, Hobbs and Shaw. Yes, okay. Cause yeah. they've had some issues getting the cast together for the next fast and furious movie. That's the only reason I ask. Um, well, it probably comes down to, you know, does K-State make the final four this year? Because uh, this is, you know, the window's open for that. Um, and if they don't, I'm not sure when it would open again. Uh, so I guess i got to go with the case eight and the Final Four just because that's, you know, a possibility right now. Otherwise, I think both could go on for quite a while. So I'll say case state because they got the, the, the window open next year. You heard it right now, folks. Kellis Robinette said, bet the farm <laughs> on case state to the Final Four. You heard it here first. Uh, would you rather wrestle Will Gary in a legitimate match or box one round with Jordan Willis? Man, uh, I don't want to do either. I, I would probably say boxing with Jordan Willis just because I could tell my, uh, you know, my ring guy as soon as it looked ugly to throw in the towel and I could get out of it. Uh, I don't think you could do that in wrestling. Uh, but that's a tough one because in wrestling you might not get, you know, you wouldn't get pounded in the face. You just get hurt and you could tap out. So there's there's some good easy ways to get out of both matches. Uh, Actually, the more I talk about it, maybe I'd go, maybe I'd go wrestling and just tap out fast. That way, I'd control my own exit. Yeah, that would be good. Uh, good friend, first ever guest, Brogan. Or no, second ever guest. Apologies to KSU fan, but Brogan Barry said that he once got into a wrestling match right in the middle of the football locker room with Gary. He said he would oh, never do that again. Uh, yeah. So, no, 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 I, I think he was a high school national champion. I, he I did used to wrestle. That's right. Well, yeah, uh, but regardless, I probably would. Uh, I'd probably go box with Jordan Willis. I'd try to take one punch and I would just go down, <laughs> stay down, uh, and I would just take you know I'd just take the knockout real quick. Um, if you could have one hour of 4K footage of any event in history, what would it be? Man, you guys are filled with good questions today. Um, I'd say. The, uh, maybe the Normandy landing, World War II, but that'd be pretty cool to watch. Uh, awful violence, but uh, that'd be pretty cool to watch, witness 
that history rather than, you know, see it in a movie or something. I would actually want uh, 4K, well, I mean, it wouldn't even have to be 4K footage, but I would just love legitimate, even a recording of an hour of all the, you know, conversations and debates that went on during the writing of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, <laughs> I, was thinking, I was thinking... <laughs> I was thinking about that today, or, you know, just a couple of days ago with the 4th of July. And, you know, all, I, I'm a history buff and I love the American Revolution. Uh, I think that would be amazing. Uh, and my answer to this question is the last song I sang out loud and it was right before I called you on Skype. But if Sandstorm were not to return to Bramlage, what song should it be? Uh, well, I'm personally inclined to say the song you like just to get back in your good side here. Um, but I, I don't know. Some, something by Rage Against the Machine. They got some good upbeat songs. I'd, I'd go with something like that. But whatever. Yeah, and and, and, my, and I, I think it should be every time we touch. I did sing this literally right before I called you to get pumped up. And, uh, you know, it was the last song I sang out loud. And then the final question, the most important question, uh, maybe of a generation. What is the best K-State podcast in the world? Uh, easy one. Bosco's Boys. Perfect. K-Dog, I appreciate it so much. This was fun to talk with you. Hopefully, one of these days, I won't uh, be on my deathbed in Nashville and we can go out and get a beer together. I'll be in Manhattan a couple times this summer. Maybe we can work something out. Uh, if you see Grant running around lost in Manhattan, please send him back to Kansas City. Uh, we love you, Grant, wherever you are. Uh, do you have any final words before we uh, shut this down? Uh, no. Um, I don't think I ever listened to your answer, though. What, what, what's with you and Grant's love for Bosco the dog so much? I don't think I've ever heard two other fans mention him. Well, so I, Grant, I think, just piggybacked off of me. Uh, my love for it just came anytime you like went to K-State or there's like a fact sheet that talked about K-State, they would sometimes tell the story of Bosco the dog being the very first mascot. And I think it was even back when it was still Kansas State Agricultural College. And there's like a couple pictures out there of just like a black lab wearing this little smock, purple smock with K-S-A-C on it. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. I like live mascots. I know people give Texas A&M a bunch of shit for having a dog. Like they're not the dogs, they're, they're the Aggies. And I think that's super cool. And I always thought it'd be awesome if you know when k-state football is running out of the tunnel here's this just awesome dog just chasing down a frisbee or something just leading them out and i, I think it'd be great branding and marketing for the athletic department you're an ag school with a and a great vet med program so i think having this mascot dog that the vet med students took care of i think that would be great you know take them to the cat backer tour let all the kids pet them and play with them have them up on the basketball concourse to take pictures with them. Uh, you know, touchdown, the Wildcats never coming back. And, yeah, we do have Phil, but he's dead. I, I just – I would just love to see a dog. I also love dogs. I wish I was at my apartment more so I could have a dog. But I, it, it's just awesome. And I think it's this piece of K-State history that so few people know about. And I just – you know, there's a time where I wanted – to make my life's mission to bring him back. I, I don't know if that'll ever happen, so I'm putting my focus towards uh, every time we touch coming to Bramlage and the golden pecan pie. Uh, but, you know, that that's literally where it came from. I love dogs, and there was that great, fun history. So that's the story, and uh, it came up with an amazing podcast. I think I had to ask you about Bosco like six times before you acknowledged it in your Q&A blog, but... Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's I remember been, you guys. It's been a fun yeah, journey. I remember you guys getting mad at me that I wouldn't answer the question. I was like, well, I don't know who the fuck Bosco the dog is. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think, I think I had to start publicly shaming you, saying that you were dodging the big questions. And uh, when I started Twitter searching uh, Bosco the dog and Bosco's boys, I think, I mean, it was going back to, you know, 2014 maybe when I started asking about it and. The idea for Bosca's Boys being the name of the podcast, I think, was in 2015. So, I mean, th this truly did happen in your mentions. And, uh, Grant, wherever you are, thank you for being a great co-host. And uh, you're lucky that Kellis wanted to keep his day job. Otherwise, this would have just been me and K-Dog every week. But uh, it, it, this has been a lot of fun. I hope we can do it again. I'm sure 
Grant will want to get in on it. Uh, again, any any final words for the listeners? I think we just crossed over to 25 million listeners, so it's a pretty pretty wide microphone you have right now. Uh, not just say thanks for having me on, and I hope Grant's okay. I still hear your voice when you sleep next to me. I still feel your touch in my dream. Forgive me my weakness, but I don't know why. Without you, it's hard to Podcast Network.